0: Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary issues that drive health outcomes. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. I'm speaking with the lead author of the AJHP article, Medicaid Reimbursement for Pharmacist Services, Other Licensed Practitioner, A Strategy for the Pharmacy Profession. With me is Dr. Pamela Schweitzer, who is the former Assistant Surgeon General and the 10th Chief Pharmacist Officer in the U.S. Public Health Service. She currently lives in Hot Springs, South Dakota. Pam, uh, you had a very distinguished career in the Commission Corps of the U.S. Public Health Service, including appointment as the Chief Pharmacist Officer. Of particular interest to me is the position you held at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, since the article we're discussing involves Medicaid. What were your responsibilities at CMS? Well, thank
1: you, Bill. And I just wanted to add that it's been an honor for me to be able to serve my country and promote public health and work with all these amazing people. So the CMS originally, when I transferred there to CMS, it was shortly after the Affordable Care Act, and I was brought on for my project management skills, specifically in information technology, and we were helping with the Medicaid i.t. systems and at the state level, and we were trying to um, they were have this big modernization project. So part of that, I worked on the provider enrollment and screening project. What I was doing is each state had to have technology in place to validate that the provider was legitimate, similar to Medicare. And that's when the light bulb turned on for me. So pharmacists are providers. They either need to be able to be enrolled and screened in a very similar process. And I found out that to be a provider in Medicaid, we needed to be included in the Medicaid state plan. So later, when I transferred the, to the pharmacy division, I had the chance to get some experience working with the approving the state plan amendments, and I found out that the clinical portion for pharmacy, if we were going to um, be paid for clinical services, was in a different division, which was called the Division of Benefits and Coverage.
0: Well, very important background for listeners here. Let's remind listeners about a few basic points concerning Medicaid. It is a joint federal state health care benefit program that's administered by the states. Mandatory benefits are established at the federal level and states have the prerogative of adding optional benefits. Is there anything you would add, Pam, to that information in terms of uh, having a basic understanding before we proceed here in our discussion?
1: Bill, you're exactly correct. Mandatory Medicaid benefits are the states are required to provide those under federal law and the optional benefits the states may cover it if they choose to give you an example the prescription drug benefit is actually an optional benefit which you're thinking what they don't cover drugs but um, every state provides them they choose that's important enough for the states that they choose to provide them even though it's an optional benefit other practitioner services which is really what we're going to be talking about is also an optional benefit Optional benefits could be diagnostic, screening, preventative services. So, And you're thinking, wait a second, they don't cover preventative services? Well, you'll see a lot of states do because it's important to them. So sure. the key piece to remember, really, is what we're trying to say. If it's important to the state Medicaid program, they're going to figure out a way to cover it. And to give you an example, tobacco cessation counseling services. And we're thinking, hey, they pay for the, the prescription. When you prescribe the product, they pre- pay for tobacco cessation products, but they don't always cover for the counseling services. Well, because it's optional, except for pregnant women, it's mandatory. Mm -hmm. So that's an example.
0: Very good. For several years now, uh, a large advocacy coalition has been seeking federal legislation that would grant provider status to pharmacists under Part B of Medicare which would open the door for paying pharmacists for patient care services provided to Medicare Part B beneficiaries. Now, the approach you discuss in your article with respect to Medicaid is different. You highlight that under the existing structure of Medicaid, there's a way to expand coverage in individual states for specific patient care services provided by pharmacists. Have I summarized the thrust of your paper accurately?
1: Absolutely, Bill. So, you know, what started all this is we wanted to help you know, these rural health communities. There was a major shortage of primary care providers. And um, being in the Indian Health Service, you know, for many years, I knew New Mexico, what they did, what we were doing there. And so we started looking at what other the other Medicaid programs were doing out there. Basically, what pharmacists, we want them to be able to do is provide this comprehensive medication management, you know, manage hypertension, diabetes, and things like that. Right. So what, in, what ends up happening is we found out they can't, and some of the states had already sort of pushed this forward, but a lot of it hadn't, hadn't been implemented. In other words, they got the payment piece down, but people weren't implementing it. So we have to kind of marry this up. What ended up happening, the Affordable Care Act changed a lot of this by Medicaid expansion. This probably wouldn't have come to light except for several of the states expanded their Medicaid programs, and now adults are covered it hasn't been that long ago that all this has been implemented. So there's this opportunity that actually came right in front of us that some of the groups took advantage of, but it really has not been implemented widespread.
0: Oh, well, that seems like an important point. So Pam, tell us about the basic process for amending state Medicaid plans for the purpose of adding optional benefits.
1: I appreciate you asking that question because part of piece that we mentioned earlier was really have to tailor it to what the state's needs are and what's important to the state. And normally this process, just if we were not in an emergency, normally what the process would be, it'd take at least a year, maybe to kind of go through the approval process. This is just kind of moving along at a steady pace. And then it might take a little longer to actually implement it. So with the emergency, all of this time has been shortened, by the way, So I'm going to refer to the normal process.
0: So normally what
1: happens is you get together a coalition of people that you want to bring to light to something, to Medicaid, and they'll be meeting with the Medicaid program, and the Medicaid program decides to approve it, and let's take it to the next step. It goes to the region. From the region, it goes to central office for approval. But in there, there's several steps that need to take place. And one key piece, there needs to be a public notice put out. So you're going to get all the other groups and all the other entities that are going to have feedback on this coming and giving their two cents. So it's way better to be able to bring this forward and have everybody on the same page to start out with. I I actually helped with this without realizing what I was doing early in my career when I was working with the Indian Health Service. So that's where I learned, oh, this is how they do this. You know, pulling everybody together, getting these coalitions, planning these sure. meetings, we have all the stakeholders right, represented. There's no shortcuts on this. Right. No
0: right. Well, well, likewise, Pam, uh, could you describe how the concept of other licensed practitioner is relevant to this message? I'm
1: glad you brought that up. And where this really came to light was with the opioid epidemic. And remember when we had these statewide protocols that we had statewide initiatives where pharmacists can give out naloxone, prescribe naloxone. And so we went and looked at the data afterwards and we saw, wait, why aren't they doing this? So it it, it actually was more evident later on, not so much, because I, originally I was starting with the broad, you know, pharmacists managing chronic diseases, but now we realize for public health reasons, the pharmacists weren't implementing it. And when we looked at it, it's because they weren't they weren't getting reimbursed for the important piece, the assessment, you know, doing the physical assessment, vital signs, observation, doing recording the review documentation, like all the pieces they might do at a doctor's office. If they go, if a patient went to the doctor's office, so they need to get paid for that. And the way to do that would be under the other licensed practitioner that would be under a different division approval under benefits and coverage. It's a benefit that's covered by the state. So, what this other licensed practitioner is actually getting paid—not for the product at all. It's not for the product piece. It's for the prescribing. It's for the—it's for the actual brief, getting the brief history, what you need to do, the clinical piece that you need to do before you dispense a prescription. I'll give you an example. When the opioid epidemic came out, several of the other—I'm going to call them professionals—actually pushed hard, and they actually got added to the state plan as other licensed uh. practitioners. For example, the social workers. I actually think we mm. should go work with them because they, they're they pushing at every state. We should be doing, going in tandem with them. Um, yeah. The mental health counselors, the addiction counselors, that whole group, they all pushed real hard, and that's how they got added to a lot of these state plan amendments following the opioids epidemic.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Pam, one of the uh, features of your article... Uh, is that it includes an appendix, which is published only online, that delineates state by state the extent of Medicaid coverage of pharmacists, patient care services. You show that in more than half the states, Medicaid covers such services to some extent already. Uh, Immunization is frequently mentioned. Now, to what extent do the Medicaid programs uh, in these states require qualifications Beyond licensure for the pharmacist patient care services to be covered.
1: Well, so it's interesting that the state Medicaid programs actually and CMS they defer to the profession for that. So, unless okay. there's pushback okay. from a stakeholder, they're not going to push back. They're not going to tell us, tell pharmacy, you have to have this in place. It's going to be somebody else, you know, a medical director is going to say, well, our pharmacists, we want them this way. So it's not going to be the Medicaid program. They're going to let us work that out. It it needs to be within this our scope of practice, whatever service we're being reimbursed for. So that's probably the important piece is we need to get that part worked out first before we go to Medicaid. And the best recommendation, and in the paper it's discussed, is to have this broad, within the scope, broad verbiage that includes within the pharmacist state um scope of practice, because then you know, we don't have to go back every single time to add a new service, it's just within the scope of practice, and then it can be worked out later at Medicaid level.
0: Sure, well, uh, again, I'm referring here to your state by state analysis. Uh, Pam, I'm curious, what are your overall uh, key takeaways with respect to coverage of pharmacist services?
1: Well, I and I appreciate you asking that. What I should probably tell you the background, what happened was is. I started on a whim. Let, let me look up every state plan and see if pharmacists <laughs> even, are even mentioned there. So I started going through them all, and that's where I kind of found – and I bet you the pharmacists didn't even know they were in there because they didn't mm-hmm. know that terminology. But we haven't even scratched the surface. We've gone in for – they've gone in for one MTM, or they've gone in for you know, hormonal contraception. They, a lot of the public health, they've gone in for just one item – and and then it gets put over there onto this as a other licensed practitioner, and it gets added in there. But the one overall <laughs> takeaway is that some state has done it somewhere. And so you have yeah. this whole yeah. list of all these services that have already been approved yeah. somewhere and just take that verbiage. That's probably the, the main takeaway there. If somebody has done it somewhere, kind of take a look at where it's been done, use their verbiage as a place to start, and It's like someone's paved the way. And that's the part that I was actually most excited about is just seeing someone had paved the way somewhere on almost all the areas. Someone had done all that hard work and pushed and made that happen. So the takeaways, you need to be able to know what the scope of practice are. You need to focus in on what the needs of the state are and then kind of make a strategic plan and move forward, you know, state by state analysis. I imagine Mm -hmm. by the way, a big spreadsheet of just all these different pieces that you can be working on to target to make sure that we're addressing those state needs.
0: Well, if if we think in terms of uh, the health care needs of Medicaid beneficiaries, Pam, what do you see as the greatest opportunities for expanded coverage of pharmacist patient care services?
1: One of the areas, and this is referring back to what you mentioned earlier about mandatory coverage and um, mandatory benefits and optional benefits. One of the areas where there is mandatory benefits is FQHCs and rural health centers, and I'm just so surprised. There's a few states that have have submitted and got pharmacist approval to be able to work in these spaces. Just very few, maybe a couple, but I think this is like a broad area where we can help so much in these in these um, FQHCs, federally qualified health centers, rural health centers. There, to manage chronic diseases, you know, their hypertension, diabetes, there's so much need. There's a major primary care shortage. And I think we. this is definitely an area to step up in. And there's only a few states, like I mentioned, that do this. The other opportunity, this is a huge one, with the emergency um, declaration for COVID-19, some of the states have loosened up their, I'm gonna say their reimbursement, and pharmacists are now allowed to do a little bit more during the emergency. And we are mm-hmm. crazy not to be pushing and to implementing as much as we can during this time where this COVID, um, during this COVID pa- um, pandemic and helping to implement these. So part of the project is, n- number one, making sure we can get reimbursement. But then two, once we can get reimbursement, how do we implement these programs? And because at the end of the, just put yourself in a decision maker's shoes, at the end of this um, emergency, they're going to look and say, okay, what's working? What didn't work? Well, pharmacists, we approved this, but nobody's implemented it. So that's what we, what we want to do is try to help implement as many of these programs where they've loosened up and expanded and allowed the pharmacists to do more, um, co- provide more clinical services during this time. And by the mm-hmm. way, people are asking a lot, how come telehealth isn't covered? We need pharmacists to, to- cover telehealth. Well, that's because if you're a provider, if you're other licensed practitioner, and you're and you're approved to provide those services face to face, you're gonna they're gonna just translate over to telehealth. But we need to get in to be a other licensed practitioner 1st
0: hmm Mm-hmm. Well, Pam, given uh, the the in-depth knowledge you have about this topic, uh, I'd like to ask from from your perspective, what are the biggest challenges in obtaining expanded Medicaid coverage of pharmacist services?
1: As a profession just in the state level, we need to have a more comprehensive approach and being able to get everybody to work together. I actually think we need help implementing programs. I'm a big advocate of just you know residents students, fellows helping to implement these services out there this is a this is a huge need, and I'll be honest with you that in the Indian Health Service, we were in the same boat just how to expand clinical services. You actually need those folks, the resident program is how we did it in our, in our um, agency back, back in the day. I think it needs leadership, bringing everybody together, all the different stakeholders. It's not just one group going and asking. It's really building this coalition, coming together. So building coalitions, leadership, to me, is huge It's to be able to do it, to strategize to do this. So I think that's a big challenge. Once you get the request there and get past the state's, See, somebody has a connection at all these states. You know, you're friends with a legislator, a congressman, somebody in a key place. If you get everybody together, you're going to find those connections. And that's where you just start, okay, meeting the needs of the state, and then you move forward. So, and you get your foot in the door. So, I, I, it's almost, it's a very much a strategy, to, a, a pr- strategic approach to do this. We're in this for the long haul. This is a marathon, not a sprint type thing. So, that's what I think it needs somebody to kind of pull that together.
0: Sure. Well Pam, you've commented on this uh, uh already to some extent, but I'm curious uh, what advice do you have for whether it's a pharmacy advocacy group or an individual champion, what advice do you have to them for moving forward on this matter?
1: Well, this is a this is a charge, a little bit of a charge. What I've noticed is that all the places where there has been a change or They've moved forward. They've got something approved. They've actually made a dent, you know, in, in expanding the role of pharmacists. It actually, it took a champion. It took somebody. It doesn't have to be the head of an organization. It took somebody that had a passion that said, I'm going to work on this. And they brought everybody together. They built that coalition, that group. Um, I look at Montana. They have a great group of people up there working now, it doesn't the problem is it doesn't expand and implement everywhere so they get they made the change in the regulation but it doesn't always get adoption so it actually we have to make sure we include the adoption in there but this can be done by anybody all they have to do is be passionate and i i i'm really going to be encouraging to the residents and fellows because i actually think they know how to implement these programs and get these programs off the ground and i i um I think if we get that energy that they have along with, you know, the organizational level, working with boards of pharmacy, working with everybody, they can change the world. I really believe it. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Pam, uh, thank you so much for taking time to have this discussion with me about your very important paper. Uh, You mentioned the word passionate. You're clearly passionate about this topic. It it has come through uh, very beautifully in our discussion. Thank you so much. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. I've been speaking with Dr. Pamela Schweitzer about her article, Dealing with Medicaid Reimbursement for Pharmacist Services. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit www.ajhp.org.